The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. Mia Farrow in a William Castle production, Rosemary's Baby, co-starring John Cassavetes, Ruth Gordon, Sidney Blackmer, Morris Evans, and Ralph Bellamy, written for the screen and directed by Roman Polanski, from the best-selling novel by Ira Levin, suggested for mature audiences. Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host Jimbo. And I'm your co-host Kyle. Kyle. Today we are going to be talking about a very um, interesting movie, <laughs> to say the least. Interesting is the word, Jimbo. That's uh, a rock yes. word. This sure. will be episode 146 on Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. But Kyle, before we get started, I have a question for you. Okay, Jimbo. I am ready for any question related to Rosemary's Baby. Are you? Uh, surely, yes. Who wouldn't be? Kyle, if you were tasked to give birth to the Antichrist... No. <laughs> just, you said wow. question. Yeah. Just right in there, Jimbo. Straight to the point. No, I thought I'd make a little We've joke We've all there. been there. I thought I'd make a little joke there at the beginning because this is a heavy movie. I wasn't going to uh, give Kyle a question on oh. this because... Um, 
this is obviously a Roman Polanski uh, film, um, and we know what kind of person he turned out to be. So yeah, Very bad history there. Look it up yeah, yourselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we don't want to dive too much in there. So I figured this is going to be a, probably a little bit longer episode. If not longer, it will be a heavy-hitting episode because there's some stuff uncovered in this movie that's just not... Yeah. not the, fun to talk about. The seriousness of the topics are a little bit, uh, not entirely outside of our wheelhouse. We've covered, obviously, heavy topic movies I mean, before, and though. I will put this trigger warning in here at the beginning. This this movie deals with rape. Uh, it, it does. Plain and simple. Yeah, it does. And also, like... Maybe some sex trafficking involved, too, if you will. Yeah. And it's not like we haven't, like, watched films before for this podcast that haven't dealt with those heavy topics. But this is the first film that covers these heavy topics and has both a, an incredibly problematic director as well as possibly problematic, you know, things going on with the production as well. Well, so like this film has a, a heavy mixture of bad on bad, like serious topics and kind of bad and, stuff going around. Well, it not too. only that, but bef- the the thing about this movie is before you realize what's going on, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a real world scenario. Yeah, that's man. the problem with this movie. The, the film plays out very realistically. Realistic, to right? How you think people would act if they believed these things? And um, although um, this is considered a horror movie. Um, Somebody said in my notes, and then we'll get to it, about this is the uh, probably uh, one of the horror movies that has no horror in it, which yeah. is really weird. So, um, But let's go ahead and get, dive into it, Kyle, so get started. Yeah, yeah, dive right into it. So, Rosemary's Baby, released on June 12th of 1968, so actually um, almost exactly uh, 25, uh, not 25 years, uh, uh, 45 years after its initial release date, actually, we'll be recording this. This is going to be right now. That's crazy. <laughs> That's <laughs> a crazy coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> just realized we're here right now. Um, um, directed by Roman Polanski, who we've, the, the before, like, terrible, terrible history there, and uh, a living person who's not... Not, who's escaped his crimes and conviction, which is incredibly bad. Um, um, writers were Irie Levin for the original novel this film was based on, and Roman Polanski was adapting for the screen, adapted for the screenplay. Composed by Christopher Comita. Cinematographer was William A. Fracker. Or Fraker, I believe that's who the Fraker would be the name there. For hopefully a proper pronunciation, although I've known to uh, mess it up on occasion. Quick little plot summary of the film. Delirious of starting a family, a young class, a young Catholic homemaker, Rosemary Woodhouse, and her struggling actor husband, Guy, move into the Bradford, New York City yeah, move into the Bradford, a New York City's iconic building brimming with unpleasant stories of obscure dwellers and ghastly occurrences. And before long, the eccentric next door neighbors, Roman and Minnie Cassavet, befriend the young couple. Shortly afterwards, Rosemary gets pregnant. However, as the inexperienced mother becomes systematically cut off from her sh- from her circle of friends, alarming hints of a sinister, well-planned conspiracy start to emerge, enfolding in timid Rosemary in a shroud of suspicion and mental agony. But why is everyone so conveniently eager, eager to help? Above all, why is Guy, his hu- her husband, allowing it all to happen to her? So that's kind of like <laughs> a quick little thoughts were going on there, and it, it's all about kind of that suspense and that distrust and of everyone around you, and uh, it's. It's horrifying on that level to be considered a horror movie for sure. Um, moving on to the um, budget of the film, uh, we don't have any gross earnings. We do have the budget of a uh, two point three million dollars in nineteen sixty-eight, which would be roughly the equivalent of twenty million dollars in today's currency, right there. So made for an incredibly modest budget, especially for a New York development film. Even in nineteen sixty-eight, that's an incredibly kind of cheap film, even for the era. So really impressive what they accomplished there. Of course, they only had the film that's in like you know basically three rooms for the most part. Um, uh, moving on here, I'm going to go to the awards of the film, which there are quite a few, um, about half wins, half nominations here, and I'm going to go through all of them because I have the time for it, and I think I can get some good coverage there. Hey, Kyle, the uh, box office for Rosemary's Baby was $33.4 million. 33 point, 33 point what? Point four million dollars. So that'd be equivalent of, well, geez, I mean, $33.4 million would be um, roughly... 10x would it be today, so that'd be about $340 million, roughly. Um, so impressive earnings there, for sure. Huge earner in that case, then. So, wow. Um, no wonder Roman Polanski made his name on this film alone, basically. Um, moving on to the awards here. We have, in 2020, it was added to the Film Hall of Fame for the Online Film and Television Association. In, 24, it was, in 2014, it was added to the National Film Preservation Board for the National Film Registry. In 1970, it it um, was nominated for a BAFTA Awards for Best Actress to Mia Farrow. In 1970, for the Photograms de Plata Award, it won the Best Foreign Movie Performer Award to Mia Farrow. In 
1970, it won the Critics Award for Best Foreign Film, awarded to Roman Polanski for the French Syndicate of Cinema Critics. In 1969, it was uh, nominated for the Oscar for Best Writing or Screenplay Based on Material from Another Medium to Roman Polanski, and it won the Oscar for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for the Academy Awards to Ruth Gordon. Then also in 1969, for the David D. Donatello Awards, it won the Best Foreign Actress to Mia Farrow and won the Best Foreign Director to Roman Polanski. 1969, for the Directors Guild of America Awards, it was nominated for an Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Motion Pictures. In 69, it was also nominated for the Edgar Allan Poe Award for Best Motion Picture. Then in 1969, where it was nominated for the Best Actress to Mia Farrow, Best Screenplay to Roman Polanski, and Best Original Score to um, Will, uh, uh, to Christopher Comita. And it won the Best Supporting Actress Award to Ruth Gordon. Then in 1969, also it was nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. Then also in 69, for the Photoplay Awards, it won the Gold Medal, Gold Medal for Favorite Motion Picture to Roman Polanski. And then in 69, it had the Writers Guild of America um, nomination for Best Written American Drama. And then in 68, it had the Kansas City Film Critics Circle Awards where it won Best Winning Actress, uh, Best Winning Actor to Sidney Blackmer and Best Winning Actress to Ruth Gordon. And then finally, in 1968, for the Laurel Awards, it took second place for Drama, third place for Female Supporting Performance to Ruth Gordon, and second place for Female Dramatic Performance to Mia Farrow. That is the awards of the film right there. You know what? They said that um, Mia Farrow did not get nominated for an Oscar. And they said it's still one of the biggest snubs in the history of the Oscars or whatever. I don't know what won that year, but yeah, I, Mia Farrow definitely... No, she wasn't in, even nominated. Though. Not even nominated is, is right. kind of a travesty because she is definitely putting her all into this performance and you really believe the... Trauma she's going through. The, yeah, the absolute, yeah, horrific, you know, world state she's kind of in. The, the mental anguish and agony she's in throughout the entire film. It is tough to watch on that level. This whole film's kind of tough to watch on that level um, in a way that is intentional in I respect. And I think it's the way it was shot, too. Oh, yeah. It, it, Absolutely. This is, this is all... You know, as bad of a, a person that Roman Polanski was is... Um, he can sure he, shoot he a movie. sure it's, shoots some movies. I'm not going to deny that. It's one of those that. conflicting things in the world to say. <laughs> it's like, man, that guy sure did a lot of really, really awful things that I don't even want to mention they're that bad. But, but his he can sure make really a movie. Good. <laughs> it's awful to say that and be sincere. It's awful. Absolutely awful. Um, but I can't take nothing away from his, his directing, man. In order for his films make up for any of the horrible things he did, he's still an awful person. He should still face punishment for his crimes. That is absolutely true in my mindset. We in no way are um, uh, 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 ignoring that fact, or uh, yeah, yeah, uh, or condoning condoning his actions. Um, okay, moving on. Technical details of the film: This film has a runtime of 137 minutes. Um, this has a mono sound mix, so just one directional um, audio cache right there. This is a color film in original Technicolor. Aspect ratio is 1.85 by one. Um, laboratory was the Technicolor in Hollywood, California. And the film length is 3,724 meters long. Um, some of the other fun facts of the film. Um, filming locations, this actually was filmed um, largely on location in Manhattan, New York City, in the Time Life building. And also, of course, the actual street shots were taken in New York as well. And this is not a film where you could do CGI like that and fake it. And there was also some other shots made in Los Angeles, California, and at Paramount Studios for the internal sets, I'm sure. Um, filming dates, this was filmed between August 21st, 1967 to December 20th to 1967 there. So, um, actually a pretty relatively long shooting schedule considering kind of how um, limited the production seemed to be in the final film itself. Yeah, but they said that the, the, like, the original cut was over four hours long. Oh, wow. Then. So, yeah, they definitely... <laughs> So he definitely they said shot. Roman Polanski, he, he didn't know what to cut out, so he hired somebody else. To, he said, you need to cut this down, so the guy cut it down. That makes sense, I'm sure. Like, yeah, because Can you imagine sitting through four hours of this movie, though? Yeah. Well, basically, in this film... like, if you're feeling uncomfortable already yeah. in this movie, oh, yeah, how yeah, much yeah. worse could it have been? Yeah, yeah. Well, specifically, when like you're trying to establish that kind of like mood of dwelling in scenarios you don't want to be in, it's hard to decide how much you cut down without destroying that entire intention you have. So I'm sure right. that's... I, Again, props to Roman Polanski for recognizing his difficulty with that and hiring someone else to take care of it for him. 
Uh, moving on to the cast of the film, we of course have Mia Farrow playing the role of Rosemary Woodhouse, the main character star. Um, Mia Farrow was also in the film The Purple Rose of Cairo in 1985 and The Great Gatsby in 1974. And most recently, she's on the Netflix show The Watcher since 2022. And I don't know if they have a new season in 2023 or not, but that's a current show on Netflix where she's starring in. Next up, we have John Kasovitz playing the character of Guy Woodhouse, Mia Farrow's husband in the film. John was also in the, in the films Love Streams in 1984, The Dirty Dozen in 1967, and Gloria in 1980. Next up, we have Ruth Gordon playing Minnie Castavet. Ruth Gordon was also in the movie Every Which Way But Loose with Clint Eastwood in 1978 and Harold and Maude in 1971. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, movie, uh, yeah. If you ever want to see something crazy, look up the trailer for Harold and Maude and it is... I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what the movie's about by watching it. I've never taken an acid trip, but I think that trailer is as close as I'm ever going to get to it. <laughs> it was a, it was just a very confusing trailer. Um, I have no idea of the quality of the film itself, but uh, it was an interesting look. Only at rated movie. PG, though. Only out. rated PG because surely I, I, that has to be a mistake or something. I don't know. <laughs> Next up, we have Sidney Blackmer playing the character of Roman Castavet. Um, Sidney Blackmer was also in the film High Society in 1956 and Deluge in 1933. Next up, we have Maurice Evans playing the character of Hutch. Maurice Evans was also in the film Planet of the Apes in that same year, 1968. And I believe he's also in the sequel. And I always forget the name, the order of the name of the sequel. Um, Return. Return to the Planet of the Apes. Yes. Okay. He was or also beneath in that the one. Planet of the Apes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what's up, Benny? I don't yeah. remember. That's, <laughs> See, where exactly. that's where they're underground. Remember yeah, the whole, yeah, yeah, the whole, yeah, the nuclear bomb thing. It's psychics. Weird movie. Weird series. <laughs> that's their other podcast. <laughs> no, it's our podcast. It, it, well, it is, but it's also the other. Yeah. Speaking of that, we'll have another one coming out soon in the next few weeks. Yes, um, should be exciting. Look forward to that. Uh, and Marie Evans was also in the film The Warlord in 1965. Next up, we have Ralph Bellamy playing the character of Doctor Saperstein. Um, Saperstein. Ralph Bellamy was also in the film His Girl Friday in 1940, Trading Places in 1983, and Pretty Woman in 1990, a film we covered in this very podcast. Next up, we have Victoria Vetro playing the character of Terry. Victoria Vetro was also in the film When the Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth in 1970. And also, she was in Invasion of the Bee Girls in 19, I believe it was 65. I didn't write out the year there, so I might be off there. But Invasion of the Bee Girls, that's a terrible movie. And uh, I watched it on Amazon Prime years ago. And it's all about these um, um, women who seduce men to death. That's all it's... <laughs> it, it was weird. <laughs> Next up, we have Patsy Kelly. Patsy Kelly playing the character of um, um, Lori Louise. Patsy was also in the film Nobody's Baby in 1973. It's contrast to Rosemary's Baby. No, it's Nobody's Baby in this time. <laughs> and she was also in The Naked Kiss in 1964. Then next up, we have Elijah Cook Jr. playing the character of Mr. Nicholas. Elijah Cook was also in the film House on Haunted Hill in 1959 and The Maltese Falcon in 1941. You know, I the first time I read the Maltese Falcon as a child, I thought like, oh, does it have to do with the Star Wars thing? It's like, no, 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 Maltese is not Millennium. <laughs> I was eight. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm but, just surprised you actually read it. Yeah, the fact that I realized as an adult that Maltese and Millennium were not the same word. <laughs> I'm a genius. Um, next up, we have Emmeline Henry playing the character of Elise Dunstan. Emmeline Henry was also in the show I Dream of Jeannie in, from 1965 to 1970, and she was in the film Lucky Me in 1954. Next up, we have Charles Grodin playing the character of Dr. Hill. Charles Grodin was also in the film Midnight Run in 1988, and the um, he was also in the movie Beethoven from 1992 and Beethoven 2, the one about the dogs. I've never seen that series. Um, You've never seen it? I've never seen the Beethoven movies. Have you? Of course. Are they good? Eh, it's a kids movie. It's a kids I mean, movie. Okay, they're all right. It's a fine little kids movie about the big Saint Bernard. Yeah, whatever. big Saint Bernard. Yeah, Beethoven. It's just, uh, yeah, no Kyle thinks it's about Ludwig von Beethoven. Yeah. <laughs> just, I, every time I see the poster of that dog, I just think I would never want to clean up after that dog because it's too big. It's too big of a dog. <laughs> Next up, we have Hannah Landy playing the character of Grace Cardiff. Hannah Landy was also in the films Being There in 1979 and Convict Stage in 1965. Then we have Phil Leeds playing the character of Dr. Shand. 
Phil Leeds was also in the film Ghost in 1990, and he said, she said, and I believe that was in 85. Was there a knock on the door, Jimbo? I don't know. Okay, I thought I heard a knock on the door. Maybe that was crazy. Next up, we have Irville Martin, playing the character of Diego. The uh, I believe he was the elevator operator in the film. Um, Irville Martin was also in the film Guess Who's Coming to Dinner in 1967. That's Sidney Poitier. Yeah, also another different actor. <laughs> There's other black people in that movie. No, 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 I'm just saying that... <laughs> oh, <I'm sorry. laughs> Kyle. And that's also Catherine Hepburn. That's just, that was me being a mistake. I thought if you were thinking, like, no, it was Sidney Poitier. It wasn't Irvo was Martin. It? No, Irvo Martin was also in the movie. Yeah, it was Sidney Poitier. Was it? Yeah, it was Sidney Poitier. Yeah, yeah, that was, that, that was his, yeah, that's his big film. That and that The Heat of the Night, which we covered in this film. we never done Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Probably a good film. Um, I've actually watched it. It's a good film. Um, next up, we have, uh, and also he was in Dolmite in 1975. And he was also in The um, the Legend of Black Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we have Hope Simmers playing the character of Mrs. Gilmore. Hope Summers was also in the film Inherent of the Wind of 1960 in 1960, and The Couch. Uh, oh, sorry, The Couch. Sorry, The Couch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dyslexia is fun, folks. The Couch in 1962, and that finishes up the cast list of Rosemary's Baby, so we can dive into more of the trivia of the film. Well, Jimbo, let's talk uh, about it. Let's yeah, talk about it's not all just the trivia of the film. Uh, the, another, this is one of those movies that has a, it's based on a book, so... We have comparisons, contrasts, yeah. what's different. I tried know. to stay away from the book as much as I could. So, um, But there is a popular belief that Alfred Hitchcock did uh, was offered the role to direct this movie. Uh, but he, they said that he was never approached about it. But I think he could have pulled it off. I think it would have been I amazing. I, yeah, I don't even... I could see him playing himself as like the doctor or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, I would... Yeah, I... I would interesting to see, yeah. I would really like to see Hitchcock's take on those kind of films, especially like, especially that 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 subject matter is a little bit out of his wheelhouse. But at the same time, like the way it's kind of like, um, the way it's uh, it's rhythm kind of goes in the film from scene to scene. Like it has a lot of Hitchcockian vibes that I think like you would have done really well with, right? Yeah. Um, Oscar nominated editor Sam Osteen would later direct the sequel. Look, look what's happened to Rosemary's Baby and. For those of you that don't know, there is a sequel to this movie. Well, I call it a sequel, but it's it was a made-for-TV movie that was only shown once, I think, on TV. Yeah. You can find it on YouTube, I think, the whole movie, and it looks terrible. So I'm sure Kyle's probably pull it up and watch it here pretty soon. I gotta pull up the IMDB description because it was just it was really, really funny just how <laughs> the way they phrased it. Um, uh, Rosemary's Baby. Having been adopted by the madam of a southwestern brothel, a now adult Adrian must cope with the fact that he's Satan's kid and not living up to his expectations. Um... <laughs> I mean, not that the idea that he should be living up to Satan's expectations. Well, I mean, this ain't happening. Or that he's a stern father expectations. Yeah, it's crazy. That Satan's a stern father figure in his life. You listen, you need to do bad things, kid. There is a heatedly disputed rumor that Sharon Tate appears unbilled at the party Rosemary gives for her young friends. Tate was Polanski's first choice to play Rosemary before Farrell was selected because he thought it would be unethical. Uh, to cast her, uh, though Tay did visit the set a few times, uh, it was Farrow's understudy, and she was uh, Mia Farrow's understudy for this film. It's never been confirmed if she is indeed in the film as an extra and remains a famous urban legend. That would be the, like the least surprising. Yeah, and for for those that don't know, Sharon Tate was one of the victims of the Charles Manson's family. Um, terrible things that happened there. So yeah, I believe uh, actually married to Polanski at the time, or the right, girlfriend. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Mia Farrow does the vocals on the title sequence lullaby. This is one of the, uh, probably one of the only horror films that has a waltz for like a, uh, wow, wild yeah. for, uh, the, the theme song. Oh yeah. So highly unusual. Yeah. Right. Uh, William Castle acquired the movie rights to the novel. Robert Evans of Paramount agreed to greenlight the project if Castle did not direct this was due to Castle's reputation as a director of low-budget horror films. He was, however, allowed to make a prominent cameo appearance, which we'll talk about here later. Hmm. According to Mia Farrow, the scenes where Rosemary walks in front of traffic were spontaneous and genuine. Roman Polanski is reported to have her told that nobody will hit a pregnant woman. The scene was successfully shot with Farrow walking into real traffic and Polanski following, operating the handheld camera since he was the only one willing to do it. Oh my gosh! <laughs> No! <laughs> don't do that! Kyle. Don't do that! I don't know! What is uh, wrong? We know it's wrong. What is, 
You're a bad person, Roman Polanski. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> don't read people's lives. The film was shot like that. You can. You, you don't need to do that. You could die. You don't, yeah, you could uh, die. You this, can fake it a lot easier. That's the beauty of cinema. It's fake. No one has to die. That's the good part of. Uh. Uh, this film, along with uh, Repulsion and The Tenant, forms a loose trilogy by Roman Polanski about the horrors of apartment city dwellings. <laughs> uh, casting for this film represented its own or presented its own problems for Polanski. Um, at first, he saw Rosemary as an all-American girl. And he saw Tuesday Weld for the lead, but she passed. Jane Fonda was then approached, but turned down the offer so she could make Barbarella in Europe with her husband, uh, then-husband Roger Vedim. According to his memoirs, Polanski, for a while, had the idea of having his future wife Sharon Tate, which we talked about, but he decided not to because it would have been unethical. Other actresses considered for the part were Julie Christie, Elizabeth Hartman, and Joanna Pettet. Uh, Robert Evans suggested Mia Farrell based on her TV work and media appear, uh, appeal at the time she was, after all, Mrs. Frank Sinatra. Mm, okay. Uh, both men wanted Robert Redford for the role of Guy Woodhouse, but negotiations broke down when Paramount's lawyers blundered by serving the actor with a subpoena over a contractual dispute regarding his pulling out of Silvio Nazarani's, or Narizano's film, Blue. Other actors considered were, are you ready? Richard Chamberlain, Jack Nicholson, and James Fox. Lawrence Harvey begged to do it. Warren Beatty turned it down, claiming, hey, can't I play Rosemary? (laughs) (laughs) Before the part was offered to John Cassavetes. For many in Roman Cassavetes, William Castle suggested Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontaine, the famous Broadway acting duo. He even tried to convince Polanski to let him play the part of Dr. Saperstein, a role eventually filled by Ralph Bellamy. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of interested to, to, for, for John Cassavetes to get the role. I, I would have been curious to see, like, I think Robert Redford would have difficulty with the role because he's such a, even in his more darker roles, he's such a likable character in many but respects. But I think Robert Redford and Jane Fonda, what kind of movie would that have been? That would have been a great... Oh, that would have been very interesting to see, for sure. A very different film as well. Is that Jack Nicholson? Uh, <laughs> he might be a little too evil-looking. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's like it's, you, you gotta have got to ride that fine line of an actress you can probably loathe on screen. <laughs> and then it's like the question, like, is that good for your career afterwards as you, if you're known for being the guy who rapes Satan into your wife? <laughs> well, it's like right here. In the the very next note I had was, according to John Parker's recent biography of Jack Nicholson, Robert Evans suggested Nicholson to Roman Polanski, but after their meeting, the director stated that, quote, for all his talent, his slightly sinister appearance ruled him out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The two would work uh, together a few years later on Chinatown, which we did cover. That's uh, the thing, like, I think, I think Nicholson looks too cliche evil, and that's why he actually looks like a good guy, actually, in many respects. Like, he very rarely plays a bad guy. I mean, granted, he played Joker at one point. Yeah, but still, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. One flew over well, I would say cra- no. He was just crazy in that too. So you yeah, know, yeah, the shining. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just one of those things where, like, yeah, he, he, he's cliche evil in some right. ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, Jack Nicholson probably could have done it. I couldn't see Robert Redford doing it because he's just, he just it's Robert Redford. He's too handsome. <laughs> uh, Mia Farrow actually ate raw liver for a scene in the movie, despite being a vegetarian at the time. And I don't know if I could eat raw liver. I don't know if I could eat cooked liver. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you get in the right headspace for it, and you're just like, this is going to suck, but it's going to look great on film, and, and you do that, you know. And I know my ears are already burning because I can hear uh, Brett from the Evil Over Dive being like, oh, liver and onions. I eat raw liver stuff. every day. Yeah. <laughs> Put hair on your chest. Exactly. Uh, there's a cameo by William Castle. He was the man near the phone booth and the film uh, is the film's producer. So uh, Rosemary says to Terry Ginofrio, uh, I thought you were Victoria Vetri, the actress. To which Terry responds, everyone says that, but I don't see the resemblance. Victoria Vetri is Angela Dorian's real name. (laughs) (laughs) You look like that lady. Uh, Everybody says that, but it really was her. That's funny. That's weird. (laughs) Uh, Entertainment Weekly voted this as the 10th scariest movie of all time. That's a 
little bit of, there are moments that I consider uneasy and like generally terrifying like oh my gosh like the moment where she actually locks herself out of the apartment from all the other guys after she gets taken from the hospital back to the house and she gets on her phone in the background you just see them walking past the oh, yeah, that's horrifying oh, scary. and they don't do any kind of music playing or anything like that too and it's like oh my gosh and it's played so nonchalantly they don't even like move in a menacing layer they just kind of like sneak by the door but not like in a creepy way at all but that just horrifies me all the more the fact of how real that felt yeah <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, the movie poster was uh, rated as number twenty-one of the twenty-five best movie posters ever by Premier. In a scene where Rosemary is getting her blood drawn, which I don't like getting my blood drawn either, Rosemary tells the doctor that she just saw the off-Broadway show The Fan Fan Fantastics. In that play, the parental figures arrange a rape of the injuan, meaning in this case abduction from the Latin rapier rather than the sexual assault. Uh, by a dark, devilish character named El Galio, uh, so a young man can save her, hoping that the young girl fall in love and the young uh, man will m- m- marry him. So it's kind of interesting. The it's very interesting the way Roman Polanski added this stuff, or even from the novel, added this stuff in there that ties together yeah. stuff that you wouldn't even know. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah once like brilliant writing on his part <laughs> any compliment just feels so bad to say anything <laughs> uh, before the filming of the scene of a rosemary calling donald Baumgart, the actor who in the story who goes mysteriously blind uh which you come to find out it's actually a curse yeah, yeah. Uh, mia farrell did not know who would be speaking on the line uh, of the phone it was that of none other than tony curtis and in the scene, Pharaoh shows slight confusion and unable to place a voice. This confusion was exactly the effect director Roman Polanski uh, hoped to capture by having Curtis read the lines. So yeah. can you imagine being like, well, I don't remember seeing you in the script <laughs> in the list of actors. That's pretty great, too. And also, like once again, like, like smart ending there to get a genuine reaction that's not harmful in any way, but that confusion adds to the uneasiness that right. Mia Farrow expresses throughout the entire film. And uh, it's impressive. You know, it gets, um, you in a, gets you in her headspace. You know what? You know what? got me for this film is you know there's trouble but you can't pinpoint it you know yeah and everybody's just so nonchalant to oh you're going crazy. well maybe she is going crazy you're thinking to yourself you know what i mean the whole there, movie yeah there's no like one moment where you know everything's going wrong you know like where you know everything is like this is the bad thing it's all like accumulation of small details that calls them rather like no you don't get it something's going terribly wrong and you would understand that it's all yeah it's all just these little small things that give her a sense of unease and dread and uh, the anguish the confusion and I really appreciate that in this film. Ira Levin felt that this film is, quote, the single most faithful adaptation of a novel ever to come out of Hollywood. William Castle speculated the reasons for this were because it was the first time Roman Polanski had ever adapted another writer's work unaware he had the freedom to improvise on the book. So, uh, The phone booth scene was shot in one continuous, unbroken take. That actually that implies, is, there are several scenes in this that's yeah, continuous. Continuous, yeah. And I think it, it adds the sense of like a uh, realism, I think. Yeah, it adds the continuity of the thing. Like it gives the impression that like scenes continue outside of you watching them. That like whenever the camera moves into their space, you know everything behind her is still going on too. And that adds once again to the yeah, like it can add a little bit to the unease and like the idea that things are scheming on around her that both the audience and Mia do- doesn't seem throughout the entire film. Right. Yeah. So there like we said, there are many shots in one continuous take uh, or unbroken with minimal cuts in an unnoticeable way such as the opening scene where Rosemary and Guy first tour their apartment which was two cuts uh, the laundry room scene which was only one cut the let's have a baby scene the New Year's Eve party Rosemary's and Guy's argument after their party Rosemary getting the unfortunate phone call about Hutch the final scene at Dr. Sapien's office where she tells him of Adrian Marcato uh, Rosemary's phone call with Baumgard and the famous phone booth scene Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Uh, this film features a cast member from Bewitched, Marie Sevens, and a cast member from I Dream of Jeannie, Emily and Henry. Both programs feature protagonists that frequently indulge in witchcraft and magic. Burt Reynolds tested for the role of Guy Woodhouse. <laughs> well, same problem with Robert Redford. He's just too handsome. Like That's like Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Who could be mad at Burt Reynolds? Oh, you gave me Satan's shout. You're Burt Reynolds, though. I still love you. <laughs> uh, the vodka blush cocktail that Roman prepares for everybody is actually real, and it is normally served with sprigs of rosemary for garnish. Oh, no. <laughs> Think the title of the movie. <laughs> the name of the character uh, the film is closely associated with The Exorcist and The Omen but whereas these movies both becoming big franchises with sequels and remakes and prequels 
Rosemary's Baby had only one TV movie sequel, which was a bomb and fizzled out, getting terrible ratings and reviews and never to be shown again, shutting down any ideas of a franchise. Kyle, would you like to see this become a franchise? Uh, remade into a better franchise. Remade into the... We did what, see that there was that... The 2014 right. kind of like uh, limited series remake with uh, Zoe Zeldana, which actually I kind of I kind of want to watch, but I don't know if I'll ever make time for it. Um, but I'm going to check... I, I, I want to kind of check that out sometime. But um, this... Yeah, the, the ideas in the story could definitely have legs to go forward and like doing with the consequences of what happens if you gave birth to the Antichrist is certainly interesting um, storytelling potential there for sure. Um, so... I could see some interesting stories being told there, but I don't know. Like, we, I don't need it. I, yeah. I don't need it, and I don't think I have I a strong want it. for it either. <laughs> yeah, because like, it also it could be handled by hacks just as well as by geniuses. <laughs> uh, Patty Duke auditioned for the role of Rosemary Woodhouse, but lost out to Mia Farrow. She did get to play Rosemary in the sequel. Look what's happened to Rosemary's Baby, which bombed. Uh, Adrian, aka Andy, is named after Adrian Mercado, Roman's father, an infamous Satan worshiper and witch. Uh, this was, well, this should tell you something. This is one of Stanley Kubrick's favorite films, which <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's is uh, another one of those guys that's, his movies are out there. And how he makes them is out there in some yeah. respects, too. Yeah. Uh, this film was for Schlockmaster producer William Castle, who was known for its gimmicky fare like House on Haunted Hill and smell vision a bit for respectability. It was also a bit for uh, respectability for Mia Farrow, who was well known for TV, her work in TV, um, like Peyton Place, and for being Mrs. Frank Sinatra. In both cases, it worked. Uh, Rosemary's name is a reference to Mary, Mother of Jesus. According to an article in The Wrap, Mia Farrow left Frank Sinatra to make this film. Sinatra pressured Farrow to quit the film as their marriage was suffering and she was about to relent, but then Paramount executive Robert Evans showed her the dailies and said, Mia, you'll win an Oscar if you do this. <laughs> that was all she needed to hear. And she soldiered on with the production. Several days later, Frank Sinatra served her divorce papers on the set of Rosemary's Baby. Farrow did not win the Oscar for her performance, however... In fact, she wasn't even nominated. That's so, it's she wasn't so she nominated. lost twice. So, Tam, I, I don't know how, but hey, she did it her way. And <laughs> same time, not to make it too dark again, but knowing the history of Frank Sinatra and how he treated women, I don't know how. I, I don't think saying Frank Sinatra was a good idea, regardless of the movie. <laughs> uh, the original cut ran over four hours. Polanski couldn't decide what to cut, so he let editor uh, Samo Steen decide. Sam will later direct the sequel, Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby. So, for all the good stuff he did here, we have to watch this. It is our duty to watch Look, Look What Happened to Rosemary's, Look what happened Baby. Rosemary's Baby. We have I to. would rather see whatever the four-hour cut of this film is. <laughs> I, I would well, be interested to see what that was. Maybe it is Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby. That it was just went all the way to the grew yeah, yeah, went all the way to the, yeah, the young adult um, child of Antichrist. Like we said, this film is about a rape of a young woman. Uh, Roman Polanski himself was charged with the rape of a young woman. Um, and I'm going to leave her name out of here just for um, respect. Yes. A mm-hmm. uh, woman who said Polanski uh, applied her with drugs and alcohol and raped her when she was 13 years in Jack Nicholson's Beverly Hills home, unbeknownst to Nicholson, who was vacationing in Colorado at the time. So, yeah. Um, Terrible yeah. person. Um, he then fled in the U.S. Uh, <laughs> uh, William Castle was convinced that there was a Rosemary Baby's curse. He thought that Sharon Tate murders and a urinary tract infection and various other maladies and illnesses he suffered during this period were evidence of that. Ironically, the producers of The Exorcist and The Omen also thought their movies were cursed. Castle was so scared that the devil was out to get him during this period he remained in seclusion for several years. William Castle said that he got hate mail from people who were very angry at him for bringing the devil back into the world. Uh, You can see product placement for the Yamaha Corporation... (laughs) The product placement for the Yamaha Corporation. <laughs> you know, this would be about giving birth to the Antichrist. Yamaha, yeah, what's her well, name? Wait, it gets better. <laughs> In the movie where a guy appears at the Yamaha commercial, they repay or they repaid Roman Polanski by giving him and John Cassavetes free scooters for showcasing their products in the movie. Uh, they both would race around New York in the scooters with Mia Farrow riding on the back seat in the first few weeks of filming. <laughs> They can't give them real motorcycles. They get scooters. Story ever though. (laughs) Just riding around New York in scooters. Yeah. 
Abe Saperstein is the name of the man who found the Harlem Globetrotters basketball team, but uh, this film's surname is supposed uh, separate. Abe, Dr. Abe's in this is spelled a little differently, so it's not the same guy. Oh, okay, different, okay, different yeah. names. It's not the same guy who got the Globetrotters. Uh, yeah. Tannis Root doesn't exist. Irie Levin made it up for the story. Like the letters of transit from Casablanca, it became an important plot element but was entirely fictional. Hmm. Uh, Roman Polanski tried to convince William Castle to play the part of Dr. Saperstein Um, one of the LA sets was used for a sequence in the monkeys movie (laughs) the monkeys movie I've never heard of that hey we're the monkeys no this involved monkeys oh it does how about that Um, the baby is due uh, in this movie on June of in June of 66 otherwise known as 666 and I do believe that the Omen remake came out of 06, 06, 06. And yep. I believe I was at the theater that day with one of my friends. Mm. But it was, that was a creepy feeling. Mm. Um, this movie is about rape. Ironically, Mia Farrow's son, Ronan Farrow, was years later blow the lid off rape culture in America with his incisive reports on sexual assault and harassment in corporate America, and particularly with the Harvey Weinstein case. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, so yeah. that's really tied all together. Okay. And... I had to pull up this movie as I was doing some of these notes, and I was because I want to make sure I could see this stuff. And some of the stuff in here, which we're going, I'm going to go into like this next one. This is so obscure, you would never even see it on the. Fr- I didn't see it on the first take, and I'm sure Kyle didn't either. Mm-hmm. So at one hour, forty two minutes, and twenty five seconds, during the uh, telephone booth scene, Mia Farrell can be seen mouthing the numbers as she dials Doctor Hill's office on a rotary phone, uh, specifically four three seven seven. Well, four three seven seven turned upside down spells hell. Oh wow! So I, it's H-E-D just double hop sticks. No, it's just one of those things, you know that. Yeah, yeah. Kind of just yeah. Once again, like it ties everything together in like a, a thematic way. That's like that's really impressive filmmaking right there. But that's why I pulled that up, and I was and you can see your mouth in it, and I was like, man, that is who pays attention to that close detail to notice yeah. this stuff. Well, it's one of the things like if, if you shove in a hundred details like that, someone's going to capture one or three of them. And, and that, that also means you have to watch forward. these movies multiple times to catch everything. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know. Like, Credit requires too. He made an incredibly dense film, um, which is incredibly impressive. Yeah, uh, William Castle, the producer, that uh, said that working with Roma Polanski was a painful experience because the latter was a perfectionist who took several nights to shoot a simple scene that could have been taken in only a couple of hours. Polanski also shot scenes at lunchtime and rush hours, just in the middle of Fifth Avenue in New York City. But Castle also admitted that Polanski was a brilliant filmmaker. Uh, this film is part of the Criterion Collection, spine number six thirty. Uh, Richard Seib, uh, Silbert, the production designer, called it the greatest horror film without any horror in it. This is interesting, too. The color yellow is used throughout this film, predominantly with regard to scenes including Rosemary, her husband Guy, and their apartment. On one hand, yellow stands for freshness, happiness, positivity, uh, positivity clarity, energy, optimism, enlightenment, remembrance, and intellect, honor, loyalty, and joy. But on the other, it represents cowardice and deceit. So, and also, I think like sometimes like the yellow uses kind of like almost a well, it could be because of the way Technicolor kind of uses it, but yellow always kind of looks sickly to me in the Technicolor, I guess. Just because it's the color of mustard, and that's sick. Yeah, yeah. Specifically, it, <laughs> I don't hate mustard, but it does. Turn on mustard. Technicolor, like usually when I see yellow, it's like you either have like a vibrant gold yellow, or you have a yellow that's more mustardy dull. and looks yeah. like dull and kind of like sickly almost. And that's why I kind of like read in the film that was ordinary. Like this, almost like. It's almost like a pea soup vomit, almost in a way. It was just like that kind of like on the color spectrum. Just like this, just looks yeah. <laughs> uh, Rosemary has a Catholic calendar that marks Fridays with a fish to uh, with a fish to remind her not to eat meat. Author Walshelves guy puts Hutch's book about witches on top of two volumes of the famous Kinsey Report on human sexuality, which was that's product placement. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it is sure enough. Uh, Guy's subversion to the dark side becomes subtly obvious right away after the very first night he meets Roman Castavet and tells Rosemary he wants to go back to hear more stories. Uh, at the end of the opening credits and later the spot where Terry dies, which was the lady that was um, basically uh, the older couple uh, had taken in. Um, uh, yeah, a girl. And, which we'll talk about a little later. Was it suicide or was it murder? Murder. Uh, an, overheard, uh, an overhead shot of the south entrance to the Dakota Apartments is shown. Its arched gateway is where John Lennon was shot to death in 1980. Oh, geez. Wow. That's a sad and bizarre coincidence. Uh, 
this this was the final film for a lot of people. So it was the final film of Jane Crowley, uh, Mona, uh, Mona Knox, Eleanor Vogel, Pearl S. Cooper, and Gene Ennis. Um, so there you go. I guess, you know, in many respects, they went off, you know, quickly on top, you know. Right. right. Like, you know, a lot of those older actors, they had incredibly long careers with a lot of other films, but none of them as uh, it's like iconic as Rosemary's Baby, I think. Uh, I read Levin in a letter to Time Magazine claimed that he named the Bramford after Bram Stoker. Or Stoker, sorry. Uh, there is a popular rumor that the Church of Satan founder Antoine LaVey gave technical advice and portrayed Satan in the impregnation scene. This is false. LaVey had no involvement with this film whatsoever. Uh, the devil costume that Antoine LaVey was falsely rumored to have worn in, uh, in the impregnation scene was later reused in the film Asylum of Satan. A small woman had difficulty fitting into the tiny suit. Hmm. Uh, Mia Farrow went on to play the nanny uh, to the devil's child Damien in The Omen in the remake of The Omen. Uh, of the Omen, almost forty years later, the film was released and coincided with the day six six six, which I talked about. And I remember that she's like, "I did it for you, Damien. It's for you." And she mm. jumps off the top of the balcony, I think, and hangs her. <laughs> I remember that trailer at his yeah. birthday party. Or I something. never actually watched me, but I've seen the trailer. Like, I did it for you, Damien. Happy birthday! And she jumps <laughs> off like, Ah-ha. stupid. <laughs> it's also debated if Terry committed suicide or was murdered by the cast of us for not cooperating. Which I asked this to Kyle before I even did the notes. Yeah, it is likely the latter, and they probably staged the scene to look like a suicide when it was actually a homicide because she wouldn't be their surrogate for the Antichrist. This is probably when they figured they had to drug someone surrept- surreptitiously that no one could be bribed to mate with Satan, as they had obviously hoped. Yeah, I think that was the, kind of the idea of why, uh, well, yeah, the, the idea that they, they got her drunk, then raped her that night, and then you know, right. and lied to her. I think they tried to be more, more maybe forthcoming with the other lady. Kyle, this is the this is the note that I found that... Oh, made you... Normally, I don't laugh when I'm doing laugh my notes. hysterically. And I'm going through these notes, and Kyle's over there working on his, and, and I see this, and I said... And I said, Kyle, I'm just going to save this for the podcast. Mm. Are you ready? Go right for it, Jimbo. Let's see how it goes. Mayor Farrell said in a recent interview that the actor playing the devil, Clay Tanner, was completely naked during the rape scene, dressed up in demonic makeup with vertical contact lenses. She said Tanner spent hours grinding on top of her as they were shooting the rape scene. After they were done, he got up. Shook Mia's hand in a very cordial and business type way and said, Miss Farrell, it was a pleasure working with you. Oh my God. Mia shook his hand back and said, Thank you. He was a very lovely man. <laughs> what? What? What is wrong with you people? So, a naked man. Grinds on you for hours. Gets up and shakes her hands. Like, Miss Farrell, <laughs> see you back at the office. Wouldn't that what? It's nice working with you. Mia. Mia. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you saying? Why do you... Can you see? Get up and be like... A what are you saying? Hey, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> and he didn't say he put his clothes back on, so he's probably there completely naked, Still shaking her hands. I had a good day. Let's do it again sometime. Like, what are you... I'm going to get hot dogs after this. shakes his head back. <laughs> why, why are people like this? I mean, I understand. It's probably awkward for both of them. At this, you know. But I hope all them old nude people were standing around and all, them, yeah, they were, they they all come set. up and shake each other's hands. Hey, nice to meet you. Nice to you. Have a good day. Just the nudist colony at that point. <laughs> one guy over there wearing, Dean, wearing his Darth Maul uh, makeup. That's <laughs> why oh, I, I, so I uh, Yeah. That would maybe like, that made me laugh. I can just, you know. Naked Darth Maul. After hours of grinding, you work with him. Nice work with him. Nice work with him. on her for hours. Nice work on you. <laughs> what? What does that mean? <laughs> Okay. There's no way to not read that as creepy as everything. <laughs> just like that's more disturbing than the movie. <laughs> okay, let's this move guy on. This Satan. Somebody has nice working with him. Like, I'll see you for the sequel. Different strokes, different folk. I swear. Okay, let's Rose move on. Rosemary's Baby is a layered movie with many subtle touches that stand out more upon repeated viewings. Example: When Guy comes home early while Hutch is visiting which we learn later was purposefully and was his opportunity to steal Hutch's glove for black magic and curse purposes. Right after Hutch leaves, Guy makes an excuse of wanting ice cream and leaves as well. If you listen closely, 
Shortly after he has left, you can hear the faint sound of a doorbell. He is ringing the doorbell of the Castavets in order to give them Hutch's glove for the Black Magic. Oh, purposes. the warning kind of there. Yeah. <laughs> and last but not least, this movie began in 1965, and during the New Year's Eve party, Roma says, Happy New Year, 1966, year one. Do you know why he said that? Why did he say it, Jabo? I'm asking you, do you know why? I don't, you don't, I don't know why. This is a nod to Antoine LaVey and the Church of Satan since Antoine considered 1966 year one because 1966 is when they established uh, the Church of Satan. So, oh. Little subtle things in there. So, Kyle, what's your thoughts on Rosemary's Baby? <sighs> oh, boy. Yeah, this film is mixed in many respects to me. Um, yeah, like I said, because like, you know, although I recognize the critical accomplishments of everyone involved in its creation, the acting is all top-notch, the performances are act-notch, the subject matter is handled surprisingly thoughtfully, um, and with a seriousness that um, creates an unease for both the viewer intentionally. You know, I think it's intentionally made to be kind of, you know, it's hard to watch for me. I think it's a film that's meant to make you feel uncomfortable and not feel well by the end, and it succeeds um, wholeheartedly on that. So for me, this is kind of like an 8 out of 10 film. There's many things that, like, if I had to dive deeper into it, I might find more objectionable, as I find the director or possibly other people even involved with this film. But um, overall, I think I enjoyed it for what it is and what it's trying to be and respect it on that level. And I think it's an 8 out of 10 where it's like this is a film that um, if you're like a, a film connoisseur and want to study film or what to explore what films can make you feel outside of enjoyment or satisfaction, Rosemary's Baby is a film to watch and to kind of feel and take in and absorb. And uh, you will kind of you will learn from it in that kind of respect and uh, see how, you know, see a different side of a uh, of, human existence I guess of anguish or feeling that kind of feeling and experiencing that so I do appreciate on that level and I think at some point I might try and revisit it again possibly to even see you know um, deeper aspects that I can appreciate on a, a more foundational level and kind of give more critical eye to it um, I think this first time there's a viewing I didn't get everything it was trying to get me but like it's a film that it's kind of worth revisiting to kind of get like, okay, what's going on here from scene to scene to scene and seeing uh, what kind of like broader ideas it's trying to communicate. So uh, this is a film that I, I think is going to stick with me to many respects. So on that, like I said, back on that level again, this film's eight out of 10 where it's like, I think it's a great film, but not a film that I look forward to watching again, but I feel like I kind of feel compelled to just learn more. I mean, that's yeah, a pursuit of knowledge. So I appreciate that. A little Was this your really first well. time watching it? Oh yeah, first time watching it. You know, and uh, it really it didn't even occur to me until um, about halfway through. Like, oh, this film is doing things that are on on another level that I should be paying closer attention to. And so it was this point where now, like, I might go back and watch it again and try and come in with that uh, with that. Um, renewed uh, magnification on it like clarity and be like oh okay I need to look at this film and uh, uh, on its level and try and like communicate with it on that level um, and try and understand it so hopefully I will and it'll be good and I appreciate it on that level and I recommend other people who are film connoisseurs and want to see a film like this go to see it for sure um, that's just my kind of take on it Jimbo how do you think you feel about well, the film I thought it was very interesting number one the way it's shot is you feel anxiety for uh, Mia Farrell's character Rosemary. You wouldn't. You 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 actually feel like you're part of the movie with her. Like yeah. I don't know how to describe it. It's you, really you, well done. You take on her perspective a lot more, more so than many other films. Even other films that even attempted the same kind of thing. Like so many other films, like also like will tend to put you in the character's perspective. This film more probably. I would say actually maybe the best film I've ever actually seen that gave me the same feeling as Mia Farrell's character, where like it generally just feels incredibly uneasy there right. you are confused you are con you are worried you are scared in her place and that sense that's where it works as a horror film in my mind even though it's not quite a horror film without you know they say it's a film without horror in it but like for everything that Mia Farrow's character is experiencing Rosemary's experiencing you are feeling almost horrified at the idea of everything right. going on and I like how there's you know. um, if now that you think about it and you go back like when the uh, neighbors bring the chocolate mousse desserts over mm -hmm. she's like oh mine has like a chalky undertaste you know what I yeah. mean it's, you think about every little detail going into yeah, that film and now yeah. you start thinking about mm -hmm. huh so it's kind of like playing Clue uh, by like trying to figure out what's going on is she really crazy is something happening mm -hmm. um, it's always interesting her husband's kind of weird in it too because he's always disappearing you know yeah. what I mean? Like, he always has an excuse. Yeah. He's working late. He's 
Uh, and he's a struggling actor, so now all of a sudden he's getting these big breaks. He was only in like commercials and a few other things, you know. Now he's getting these big breaks and all that. And um, he didn't really want to, like the the uh, the neighbors were really uh, pushy. Like the lady would come in, hey, and you just walk around her yeah. thing, like, oh, I like what you done with the place. Or they did like Rosemary's going out to town, and then all of a sudden she feels sick. But look who happens to hop in by. Same coincidence, but her, her oh, she's run. going to she's like, going oh, to meet uh, she's going to meet uh, yeah. I forgot his name uh, their friend that it, uh, that tries to warn him about every, all the weird mm-hmm. things that's happened here. Yeah, and she's supposed to meet him for lunch and all this, and he has something to tell her and. Um, he ends up doesn't make it, but that lady shows up and like, oh, what are you doing here? Yeah. I'm just out doing some shopping. Or even it's like, oh, I'll make sure you work with my doctor and the doctor's in. Right, going he's the best the whole in New York. Like, and yeah, come to find and, out that they're all part of this evil cult group in this apartment building with secret tunnels. Yeah. And what really struck out to me though is after everything she goes through, she goes through these secret tunnels and and she ends up going into the other because she hears noises. And you can hear noises in the other apartment all thing like um, when she has the baby. Because uh, uh, she's like, they thought that the baby had died. You, yeah, they yeah. tell her that. Well, the, yeah, they lied to her. The baby's dead. Yeah. yeah, and she can hear a baby crying in the, uh, through the walls and everything. And she goes through these tunnels, and she ends up going over there. And she ends up all these people are in there having a party, and there's a black bassinet, and uh, it's a baby crying. And the one of the ladies over there rocking her, and she's like, "You're hurting him. You know, you, mm-hmm. you're doing it too fast." And the guy's like, hey, stop. And she, the lady's like, well, why is she doing here? She, you know, she, she shouldn't be here. She's just trying to get us to take her baby or whatever. And he's like, she's the mother. Let her do it. And so she goes over there, and she starts rocking gently. And then she has this look of compassion like a mother does to her child, even mm-hmm. though, and, and the guy's like, he's got his father's eyes or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and it leaves you on a cliffhanger like that because you, they wanted her to join them and, and be the mother to the baby yeah yeah which it leads you to believe that she does but according to the sequel he's been dropped off at a brothel or something you know what i mean so i don't know well, as an adult or he's been kidnapped i think other plot of plot synopsis says that like they were trying to escape from the cult her and oh. the child at a young age and then later she ends up being abandoned to a he ends up being abandoned to a brothel in southwest uh, yeah so like that's like, you gotta watch it yeah but but um maybe. yeah i'm gonna agree with you it's probably an eight maybe an eight five just for and I wouldn't consider it a horror movie. It's just, it's like an uneasy, yeah, an uneasy suspense. Yeah. I guess a suspense movie it's thriller is what I would call yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but very interesting movie. Very well shot. Very mm-hmm. well acted. There is some nudity in this film, so be, be forewarned about and that. And definitely adult themes for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but just trying to piece it all together, like the different anagrams uh, for like the the book she gets, and she pulls out the Scrabble, dumps all the pieces around, and puts all the words yeah. out. And then when she finally puts two and two together, the one person she thought she could confide in was this doctor, you know, the other doctor. She goes to him, and he's like, okay, well, let me see what I can do. And he makes a phone call, and... Here yeah. comes her husband and somebody else to drag her back because it's a big ring of conspiracy. Yeah. And, you know, something like that could happen in the real world. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's the only thing about this whole film is, like, it, it doesn't feel, like, out of the realm of possibility. Like, the idea of giving birth to the Antichrist, that's kind of nice. But the idea that someone would think you're going to give birth to the Antichrist and, like, has a cult kind of, like, mindset around it and has other people working with them to that degree, like, it's, it's horrifying, but it doesn't seem like the most out of the realm possibility. And nothing actually happens in the film that's, like, you know, cars aren't flying in the air. There's nothing like terrible <laughs> happen. The person who goes blind, something like that. Like those are like unrealistic things, but also things you you know they could happen. Things, yeah, things you wouldn't believe couldn't happen. Things you would believe couldn't, you know, yeah, you wouldn't believe like, oh yeah, that could happen. Kind of the degree. So it felt realistic on that level, which in turn makes it all the more kind of terrifying. The idea that you could be entrapped like that too. So yeah, big film. And, big and film. Um, so yeah, I'll probably give it eight eight five. Um, but one thing I want to end on uh, my thoughts is. If you are somebody that has struggled with uh, rape or sexual assault, please contact your local law enforcement. Um, we know this is just a movie, but we also know that there are real-world uh, issues going on. Um, and the, the last thing we'd want to do is for somebody to stay in a relationship like that. Or if you've been traumatically uh, traumatized, uh, just reach out to somebody, uh, get help. So um, I want to make sure yeah. that we... Uh, we did touch on that and not just say it's just a movie because there are some real bad people in this world. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to look at what's actual hotline you call for like help and those kind of things like that. Uh, oh yeah. The, the rain hotline. Uh, let me see if I get the number on there. If I can actually put that on there, um, for the, um, I think it's like a 
Yeah, um, yeah. One eight hundred six five six Hope from number to call there for National Sexual Hotline for free confidential twenty four seven help on there kind of thing for um, uh, rape, abuse, incest, and National uh, Association. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, we do do talk a lot about a lot of movies, but we also are human beings and we care about people too. So, yeah. Um, well, once again, thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, we are the Tragedy Cinema Podcast at uh, gmail dot com. Uh, if you want to see us on the uh, join the Facebook group, we are the Tragedy Cinema Podcast. Uh, just search for us. It'll ask you for the um, names of uh, the hosts, which is Jimbo and Kyle. But if you don't put that on there, we'll still accept you. I'm sure one of the uh, moderators will. Um, what'd you do, Kyle? Did you lose the clapboard? I did lose the clapboard. I was just going to clap and not say anything, so no one would notice. But now we acknowledged it, so that's good. <laughs> oh, it's right here under the paper. I was going to say, I'm it's sorry. right in front of you, Kyle. <laughs> right, right in front of your notes. Exactly. It was hiding in front of um, me. Yeah, but thanks for listening. So after we did a heavy movie like this... Um, we figured we will lighten it up, and Kyle did not like this next movie, so no, this will be fun. I love it. He hates it. So, But it is Weekend at Bernie's, um, and I have a fun story about that, too, so you'll find out why. So, okay. With that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut.